to be together again. Hey? It makes such a huge difference to stand here and see all your faces, admittedly behind masks, but nevertheless to have you here rather than just staring down a camera lens and trying to imagine that you're here. Uh, it's so good to be together. Good. Well, we are today continuing the series we began last week, just a short four-week series leading up to Christmas that we called so- the soundtrack to Christmas. And over this series of four weeks, we're looking at four songs recorded for us in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, And we introduced that last week, and last week we began by looking at Mary's song. And we saw, didn't we, that above the background noise of scandal, a child born outside of wedlock, above the background noise of potential worry about the future, above the background noise of the potential for rejection and public shame, Mary sang out this great song of praise to God for who he is and and what he'd done for her. And the fact that, that all generations would call her blessed, not because of anything she'd done, but because of what God had done for her. And how in turn, whatever's going on for us at this time of year, whatever worries might crowd in, whatever kind of anxieties or nervousness we might have, uh, whatever is going on for us in, in our family or in our work lives, we too, like Mary, can sing a song of praise to God, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us through the finished work of Christ Jesus. Uh, And so if you missed that last week, I would encourage you to listen back to that uh, and catch up with us on this series. But we come today to our second song, and and this song actually stands in quite sharp contrast to the first, where Mary's song rang out above the, the background noise of scandal and perhaps worry about the future and, and the, the very real potential of public shame. Actually, this week, instead of the song of a young pregnant woman, this, year we, this week we hear the song of an aging priest. And we hear the song of an aging priest whose wife, who has been barren well into her, later years, well beyond childbearing age, at last gives birth. See, For Zechariah, who sung the song that we're going to look at today, unlike Mary, there was no potential for shame or, or rejection. In fact, this new arrival would have been the cause of much celebration from all in the community who knew this prominent couple and had seen them walk for many years faithfully with God through the pain of being unable to conceive and have children. Their friends and neighbours and family had watched this couple faithfully serve God through the pain and hope deferred as month after month and year after year 
their longing for a child was left unmet. And finally, finally, miraculously, God gave them a son. Their long-awaited child had arrived. What a moment. Can you imagine? Some of you maybe have been through something of what Zechariah and Elizabeth had experienced, perhaps. Maybe some of you have been through the the pain of a, a lengthy time of wanting to conceive and being unable to. You've known the month after month of pain and disappointment. Maybe years for some of you. Can you imagine the joy, the celebration? This woman who was beyond childbearing years miraculously gives birth. Can you imagine the party? And that's the scene we kind of drop in on at the verses that Grace just read to us, starting from 57. And, and it's, this, it's kind of bizarre to our cultural mind, but it's like they've, the baby's been born. The party's going on. And they come to dedicate this child, John, to God. To circumcise him. And the neighbors are gathered round. Hmm. But this song is not actually what you might expect from the new father. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, we do need to set the scene a little more. See, just as Mary had been visited by an angel who told her that she would conceive and give birth to Jesus, the promised Messiah, a few verses back in chapter 1, we find Zechariah was also visited by an angel to tell him that his wife Elizabeth would conceive and give birth. Give birth to a boy who would not be the Messiah, but would be used by God to turn people's hearts back to him, to prepare the way for the Messiah, to be like a sign in the wilderness saying, he's coming, get ready for him, here he is. And unlike Mary, who responded in faith to Gabriel's declaration that she would have a child, Zechariah, the priest... (laughs) the well-respected servant of God, well, he didn't believe it was possible. See, after all those years, and and now Elizabeth past childbearing age, Zechariah didn't believe God could do it, or that God would do it. And because of his lack of faith, God struck him deaf and dumb. And so Zechariah lived nine months in complete silence. Imagine that. How frustrating that must have been. Complete silence. See, lots of, when we kind of first read the account, we think, well, you know, the the angel just says that he'll be unable to speak. But the, the word used has often to do with speech and hearing. And we find then where Grace just read to us from the first few verses that the neighbors and the people around made signs to Zechariah to ask what they should call the baby. If he wasn't deaf, if he was simply unable to speak, then they would have just said to him, Zechariah, what should you call the baby? 
Yeah, they would have spoken it, but they didn't. They made signs to him. Zechariah had spent nine months because of his unbelief in total silence. Imagine it. Nine months, unable to speak, unable to hear. Communication with people limited to gestures and scribbled notes. Incredibly frustrating. A period of confinement, of restriction, of frustration. But you know what? I think God used that nine months of silence for Zechariah. He used that nine months of restriction and confinement to do something amazing in Zechariah's heart. He built Zechariah's faith and deepened his trust and reliance on God. And this song that we're going to focus on today is how Zechariah, after nine months of utter silence, broke that silence, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The first thing to come from his lips after nine months of complete silence. And I think this song shows just how much God had accomplished in him in that time. Before we get into to looking at the detail of that, I just want us to notice that for a minute. Because I think we often look at periods of confinement or restriction as, as just like hindrance, that nothing good can come from this frustration, this, this limitation, this inability to do what I want to do. And I believe God often uses times of restriction and frustration and limitation from what we feel we would want to be doing in order to accomplish something in our lives and in our hearts. I know God has done this for me at times of frustration I've experienced feeling held back from something I think I just I want to be why can't I I want to be doing that and feeling unable to to get there or to do it or there are things in the way preventing me from being able to God has used those times to cause me to lean on him more to cause me to pray more and to rely on him more and to sink my roots deeper into him to lean my weight more fully on him. And as I pondered some of that this week and thought about the frustration Zechariah had experienced and what God had accomplished in him, I wondered how much we may have grown in this COVID-19 period of restriction and confinement. I believe if we allow God to... He can use lockdowns, restriction in our freedoms in some ways. He can use those times to grow us, to build something in us. And I I believe he will in this time, just like he did with Zechariah. And, And my prayer for myself and my prayer for us as a local church community and my prayer for each of you actually, is that we would come out of this COVID pandemic like Zechariah came out of his nine months of restriction, that we would come out of this pandemic more full of faith that God can 
and will accomplish great things through us and in us for his glory. And that we would come out more given over to trusting him. And we would also come out filled with his spirit, ready to declare his goodness to everyone who would listen. And that's exactly what Zechariah did. He came out of nine months of just unimaginable frustration. And the first thing he did, the first words from his lips, declared his trust of God and declared the glory of God to all who would listen as he was filled by the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for us. And so, filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah sang out these words. And this is what we're going to look at today. He broke his silence by saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Praise be to the Lord. What an amazing way to open up this song, yeah? I tell you what, if I was unable to speak for nine months, I would love to think that the first words out of my mouth on being able to do so again would be, praise be to the Lord. Praise God. Why? Why praise God, he says here? Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. (laughs) Now, this is amazing when you grasp hold of this because nine months ago, Zechariah didn't believe that his wife could get pregnant. And now, before Jesus has even been born, Zechariah is so certain that God's promises will be fulfilled in Jesus, is so certain that God will rescue his people through Jesus, that he speaks about it as though it's already happened. Through the eyes of faith, so convinced of God's promise, so convinced that God will do what he has said he will do through Christ Jesus, Zechariah says, he has. He has come and redeemed his people. It's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah? I wonder how much of us view God's promises in that way. When we read God's word and we read what he says he will accomplish... How many of us approach that and think, well, you know, we'll see? (laughs) Or how many of us actually say, God is utterly faithful to his word, and if he says it, he will do it, so much so that I can confidently speak of it as though it's already happened. Because he said he's going to do it. It's amazing. Zachariah had grown a lot in those nine months in terms of his trust of God. But I tell you what else is remarkable about this song is that this song from a new dad who's been waiting so many years for a child, what's truly remarkable about this song is that most of it isn't about his son. Yeah? you would think that upon the arrival of this long-awaited child, Zachariah may well start with praise God. 
but he'd very quickly get to praise God because you've blessed us with a child that we've been longing for for all these years. But, but that isn't actually what Zechariah does. Instead, most of this song is about the unborn child of his wife's cousin. That's a fairly unusual <laughs> song for a new father, yeah? <laughs> Zechariah was in no doubt whatsoever as to the significance of the birth of the promised Messiah, of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, God in human flesh, God come to rescue and redeem his people. And for him, even the birth of his own son was overshadowed by the good news proclamation of God's rescue plan for people. That's amazing, isn't it? That is amazing. Because it struck me how often I get this wrong. I can be eager to share good news of all kinds of things with people. I don't know about you, but when something that is, is it's like good news or something that is worth celebrating happens, we're very quick to tell people, aren't we? We want to share good news with people. When we announce a, a new arrival or when we get a new job that we've been kind of working hard for. We want to tell people that we got the job. We're very eager to share good news with people. We are. Whatever it may be, but the glory of Jesus, the glory of Jesus come to rescue his people. Far outweighs all of those things. It does. And Zechariah got it. <laughs> and he understood. And so it was the first thing on his lips. And he continued, verse 69, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. He's talking about Jesus now. In the house of his servant David. Jesus, the promised rescuer in the line of David. The, the Jews had been waiting for this promised rescuer in the line of David. Here comes Jesus. And Zechariah uses an interesting phrase to, a kind of word picture to talk about Jesus here. He says that in the person of Christ Jesus, in the house of his servant David, God has raised up for us a horn of salvation. A horn of salvation. We kind of think the salvation bit we get, what is the horn all about? Like, what is that? It's the only place in the New Testament that this particular word picture is used. And so we need to open up the Old Testament to help us understand it. And as we open up the Old Testament, these scriptures, which would have been Zechariah's companion for these last nine months of silence we find that the horn of salvation is a picture that comes through in the Psalms of David. David writes this. He says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 
Okay, David uses it. Elsewhere in the Old Testament and in the culture of the day, we discover that the horn is a picture of strength and authority, of might and of power. See, I think we might read it and think it's like a, something to be blown. I think the horn of salvation is like a sound of victory. So like, bruh, 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 the horn of salvation. That's not the picture. Actually, the horn is a powerful weapon. It's the picture of the horns of a, a great beast, an ox or a bull or huge bison with massive sharp horns that that animal would use to demonstrate its power that that animal would use to overcome an enemy or to defend and protect its family that's the picture that we have here this horn of salvation is a a symbol of power and might and strength. It's the picture of a huge beast with these massive horns that it will use to rend its enemy in two. That it would use to, to fight and to defend and protect its family. The horn for Zechariah who said this and for those who heard him was a picture of a weapon. A powerful, mighty weapon of power and of victory. It's a word picture to represent overcoming an enemy but also defending and protecting loved ones. And here, Zechariah says that Christ has come. This babe who's to be born has come, not as kind of meek and mild and passive, but has come in might and in power to bring about salvation for God's people, that he will win the decisive victory over the enemy of God's people. This is not a, it's not a clean, neat image. <laughs> it's, it's a kind of gory, slightly bloody battle picture of a victory wrought on behalf of God's people. Now, in all likelihood, Zechariah had in mind here the nation of Israel and a military victory that would bring freedom for them from the current Roman oppression that they lived under. Liberation for the people of Israel from their Roman oppressors. God's horn of salvation that would bring freedom for them. And, and in part, that's true. He carries on in verse 71, he says this, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. See, the glorious truth is that actually when Christ Jesus returns and makes all things new, he will gather his people to himself. And that liberation 
that freedom from oppression, from human enemies, as well as spiritual, will be brought about once and for all. God's people, this, this idea that Zechariah had that, the, that the, God's people had been waiting for and longing for the promised rescue, the idea they had was that he was going to come and free them from their human enemies, from the other nations that were oppressing them, and he was going to bring about peace for God's people, that they would live with him in peace, in the good news of his victory. And God will do that when Christ returns. But actually in Zechariah's song, we find a a broader picture. Whether he was particularly mindful of it or not, or whether this was just as he was moved by the Spirit, he spoke this out and sang this out. But we find a broader picture than just a political or military victory. This is what Christ, the horn of salvation, would accomplish for his people. This is what Christ has accomplished for all who hope in him. He says this from verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Christ has won for us freedom from fear from the enemy of fear, freedom from fear, and the ability to serve God in holiness and in righteousness for all of our days. Guys, this is beautiful. See, the enemies of sin and fear and death have been overcome by Jesus on behalf of his people so that, as in him we find forgiveness In him we find freedom and fullness of life. We need have no fear anymore. We live now in a holiness and a righteousness that's not our own, but is given to us from him. And to what end? I love this. Not that we might live selfishly or for our own glory, but what does it say here? To enable us to serve him. To live for him, for his glory, all our days. That's what Christ has accomplished for us. Then Zechariah briefly fixes his gaze on his own miraculous son, John, and says, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah now fixes his gaze on his son and says to him, John, your life has been given so that you might point people to Jesus. That's, that's essentially what he says to him. And I want to look at each one of you today and say, if you are a Christian, if you have put your hope and trust in Jesus, then you've received new life. 
and your life has been given so that you might point others to Jesus. The one who will forgive their sins. The true light that will shine on those walking in darkness. The one who will guide his people's feet to walk in paths of peace. Oh, that we would live like that for the glory of God, hey? My prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we would kind of hear those words that Zechariah declared over his son and we would recognize that in large part that's what we too are called for and what we too should be living for. Now maybe you're listening to this today and, and you're not even sure if you need a horn of salvation. You're like, I don't like, like saving from what? For what? Like, do I even need that? But maybe you do know that at times fear can dominate your thoughts in all kinds of ways. Fear of death, fear of loss, fear of failure, whatever it might be, I want to tell you today that even if you don't know it, and even if you don't believe it yet, you do have an enemy. You have an enemy in the devil who hates you and who would love nothing more than to see you reject God and be separated from him forever and who will trap you in fear. However much you try, you will never live well enough to get free from it. See, the Bible is clear. All have fallen short. Every one of us has sinned, and the wages of sin, what we earn for ourselves as we turn our backs on God, is death, is separation from him. But in Jesus Christ, the gift of God is eternal life. The good news is, is that if you turn to him, there is forgiveness for your sins that God has raised up in Jesus, a horn of salvation, one who has conquered sin and conquered death and conquered fear. So that we might know him and love him and serve him without fear for all of our days. See, we have an enemy, but that enemy has been defeated. Zechariah knew it then, and we know it now. Zechariah spoke of it even before Christ had been born. Zechariah said, God has raised up a horn of salvation, one who will thoroughly and finally defeat the enemy and who will free all those who trust in him from fear and death and sin. And I want to encourage you today to put your trust. Maybe for the first time or maybe just again today.
to put your trust in our horn of salvation, to know that victory has been won, that you need not fear. So I think some of us, maybe even today, you, you, you've kind of sat through this and you think, but you, know, but you don't know what's going on for me. And, and your mind's whirring away with all the situations that you're facing right now. Your thoughts are perhaps preoccupied with what's happening at work or what's going on in family or any number of other things. And for some in particular, you are, you're struggling with fear. You're just almost paralyzed with fear about what might happen, about the future. But, but what if this? What if that? And I want to pray for you today that you would know freedom from that fear. That rather than your hope in Jesus being a kind of faint and vague and flimsy hope that something may change, that instead your hope would be a sure and certain steadfast hope in the finished work of Jesus and that in him you would know freedom from fear, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. That's what Zechariah declared God had done and would do for his people 2,000 years ago. And that same God hasn't changed. Yeah? I'm going to pray and then we're going to come back and sing one final song. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to trust you today. Lord, we're sorry for the times when we, uh, when we look at uh, other things and we allow them to, to overshadow you. Or we, uh, we may be like Zachariah's first response to the angel. We think, I just don't know if God can do it. Lord, I pray that you would stir faith in us, that our response to what you have said you'll do for your people would be like Zachariah after his nine months of silence rather than Zechariah before it. Lord, would you help us to be those who trust in you fully? Would you help us to be those who are so thoroughly convinced of all that you've accomplished on our behalf that we would know freedom from fear, that we would know that we can live for you and serve you without fear of our enemies of sin and death, but that we might know we have been purchased by you, we've been set free by you, that you, the mighty horn of salvation, have thoroughly defeated our enemy, and in you we might have complete and utter freedom and fullness of joy. Lord, I pray that as Zechariah concluded this song, <laughs> saying that, like, that Jesus would show your people into a place where they would 
have their feet guided in paths of peace. Lord, I pray that you would guide our feet in paths of peace this week. That we would not live in fear, but that we would live trusting you and in certainty of your victory. And I pray too that you would help us to be those who boldly declare your goodness to those around us. Lord, whatever other good news we have to share this week with those around us, whatever other good news we want to share with our friends and family and neighbours, Lord, I pray, like Zechariah, above and beyond that good news, we would want to share with them the greatest news of you, Christ Jesus. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. And send us out into this week for your glory and for the good of those around us, we ask. Amen.